Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. On this episode, I'd like to invite you to listen to a conversation that I recently had with my Crosstalk co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez. On this episode, we continue a series in which we're discussing Bible stories that we often water down in order to teach to children. We're going to go back and re-examine and discuss these passages in order to better understand them. On today's show, we discuss the parable of the prodigal son. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. You know, as I read this story before we were before we had the class, the prodigal son, I was thinking about how we often focus on one specific character. And, and, and to a degree, it's not usually just one. I mean, it's like this time we're going to, we, we focus on this one and next time we, we focus on another one. And next time we focus on another character and there's the three main characters. You have the, the father, the uh, quote, good son. I, I don't know what you want to call him. The, the son who stays and the son who leaves. Um, and we usually try to, we usually, separate them out as far as how we really focus our discussion on them. And it seems so many times that like, like you've, you've talked about how usually we pick out the, we pick out like the good person in the story to identify ourselves with. But this story makes it hard because <laughs> it's the father and, and we recognize as a whole that the father is supposed to be, I mean, in essence, the father is God in the story. The father's like God anyway in the story. And so we can't identify ourselves with him almost. You know, I don't, do y'all feel that way? Like, like you're almost not supposed to identify yourself with the father. Well, I mean, the nature of parables is not to, uh, not necessarily to, to provide, you know, some simple moralistic tale, uh, like we've already talked about, but rather they're supposed to provoke a response. They're supposed to prick a response from you because there is something preventing you from seeing the truth that's apparent to you, you know, it's, it's, so it's another way of presenting that truth that is supposed to happen in such a way that it, that it pricks that response, that it draws out of you a natural response that you were somehow withholding Mm -hmm. when you were listening to the more, uh, uh, deliberate truth. And so in those particular cases, you know, what, what response would you want to have? Well, you can have a response about God and how he responds to us and how he behaves and whatnot. You can have a response uh, because of the two sons, but in neither case do you necessarily, you know, find yourself in them. You know, it's it's not it's not really designed for you to identify with them, but rather for you to respond to the truth that is presented through their interaction. So I don't know that we're necessarily expected to uh, associate ourselves with the father in the story, except to, to recognize, uh, what God has done for us through the example and, and, and have an, a response to it. Well, I think this is a unique parable in the fact that the audience 
And the point is spoken beforehand, so we know ahead of time exactly what Jesus is driving at. We know exactly the context of this. Some of his other parables, we don't know exactly, kind of have to piece together, you know, what was he driving at? Who was he um, indicting in this parable, or who was he commending in this parable? In this case, we know exactly what he was doing. So, you know, he's eating with the the tax collectors and the sinners, and, and the Pharisees say, <laughs> Who, who, who's this guy that he's eating with these people? Why do you do that? And so all three of these parables, the lost coin and the lost, uh, the lost son and the lost sheep, they're all given in response to that accusation. And, and the point is, in every single one of them, this is the way that, that a person responds in joy when a, sinner res- when a sinner repents and comes back home. I mean, in both of the first two parables, he mentions repentance, and in all three, joy. And so that's, that's the point he's trying to get across to these Pharisees, is that there should be joy, because there's joy in heaven when a, a sinner repents and comes back home. And so we already know the audience. The audience is the older brother. I mean, you know, he's he is saying, this is how you're acting. You're acting like the older brother. You're not acting like the servants that rejoiced in the father's house or, you know, or even like the father. You people are acting like this older brother. And so it's an indictment against the Pharisees. And so how we apply it, you know, I mean, there, there could be lots of applications, I think, of the story. Um, but I think that, that first we've got to, in, in our interpretation of the parable, we have to interpret it and, and understand that, that the older brother equals, if you will, uh, the, the Pharisees who are accusing Jesus of responding inappropriately to, to the sinners when really it was them who were responding inappropriately. Well, and I think, uh, you know, I mean, not, not to completely reverse what I just said, but I mean, it's we, <laughs> what we try and do is we look at these stories and try and say, well, who am I in this story? Mm-hmm. And that's not always necessary in mm-hmm. parables. That's not always the point of a parable. You, you may not be in this story. And then again, it might be one of those parables where, at different times and in different uh, at different spiritual maturities, you might be each person in this story, you know. But but we what we tend to do is to try and say, well, who's the one person that represents me always? Mm-hmm. And that simply doesn't exist. A one to one correlation. In, yeah. Right. What is the one to one correlation here? And that doesn't exist. And that's not really the point mm-hmm. of this story because you know the other side of it is is yes, you guys are the older brother, or I assume he's older, but. You're the brother who stayed and who then is is angry at how his his lost brother is is found and received. And yet the other aspect of that is that they are all also the lost brother. And that's what they're not wanting to recognize. They're not wanting to have joy because the brother has who was lost has been found, that he has repented and come back to his father's household. They're not finding any joy in that because they refuse to acknowledge that at any point were they in that condition. And that they have had to return to the father's home, and and so at, at different times and at different uh, spiritual maturities in our life, we're, we were we can identify with all of the people in this, and and most assuredly can we find ourselves in the lost brother, but then once once we have been lost and come home, the danger is that we find ourselves in the position of the other brother, uh, but to stick with our kind of general idea. How is it that we have stripped the guts out of this in order to teach it to our kids? Because this is one that we teach to our kids. How have we stripped the guts out of it to do that? You know, I'm not exactly sure how we teach it to our kids, but I know how we teach it to adults, and so I'm guessing that's how we teach it to kids. Um, I I can't remember this being taught 
to me in a Bible class and what point. I mean, I remember it being taught in a Bible class, but I don't remember what exactly the moral of the story was supposed and, to and be. And I don't. I think that may be part of the problem. Maybe we yeah, don't. Maybe right. there's just you know, we just <laughs> we just teach it. We just yeah. teach it, and it just kind of yeah. But but with adults, <laughs> we don't actually provide an application to the kids <laughs> right. because we don't we don't know how to explain any of it. Well, with adults, we we don't even seem to touch on the big brother. I mean, we the older brother. We we just kind of. Well, and then there was an older brother, and he wasn't very happy about it. You know, we just—it's just kind of a side note. When really, that's kind of the main point of of the entire. This is the the climax mm. of the sermon. Now, Jesus is going to drive it home. He's told this. Okay, yeah, that's how I react when I find a lost coin, and oh yeah, I can see that with a shepherd, and that's how. And then yeah, okay, of course the father's going to be happy, and then boom, he then he drops it on the on the older brother. But we don't seem to bring that into the equation, even when we teach it to adults. Instead, it's always we are the prodigal, and God is running out to meet us, and God is welcoming us back, and God always forgives, and God's always gracious. And and obviously that's true. And and Jesus was, to me, I mean, Jesus is in the story, he is showing God's willingness to come to earth and to welcome sinners back home. I mean, and so he is, though he is not the Father in the Trinity, he is playing that role of of coming, taking the step out of the house, out of heaven, down to earth, and welcoming sinners back home uh, that are that are repenting, obviously. And so, but I, I think that too often when we teach it to kids, we we totally leave that out of the equation. And and there's certainly a great story there for our kids in in learning how to welcome people back, and that there are times when people do things that are wrong, but that doesn't mean we close the door and never let them back in. Perhaps one of the ways that we've, we've kind of undermined the story is is by the fact that we always call it the, the prodigal son. And mm-hmm. you know, we, we always refer to it as the son. Why? Because he's the one you're supposed to identify. He's the point of the story. And so we teach it to our kids. Well, it's the story of the prodigal son. And so we end up putting that emphasis on him. And then we put a marginal emphasis on the father. We barely mention the brother at all. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, well, you know, there always has to be a bad guy in the story, so it's going to be, <laughs> right. you know, the the older brother or something. Uh, you know, the other aspect of it is like you already touched upon. This was part of a series of parables that Jesus told in old in order to communicate his point to the people who were with him, and it was all about how we respond to the lost. And yet, we don't tend to cluster these things together the way Jesus did. You know, it's, well, because they all have that little mini narrative arc like we talked about, well then, well, hey, this can be its own class, and this Mm -hmm. can be its own class. And it's, well, no, no, what it really needs to be is the parables of the lost, finding what is lost, and teach them all in unison so that we don't lose that context, we don't lose that broader understanding. Uh, You know, because... Once again, Jesus Jesus begins with a less one-to-one uh, comparative because he's talking about lost objects mm-hmm. rather than lost people. And th- there's there's context there that even the immature can understand, that even our children can understand, and then winding that forward to say, and now think about how God feels about people, how what he thinks about people who have run away but then who have come home do we respond the same way with that joy? And we can we can properly teach this if we leave it in the mm-hmm. context in which Jesus presented it originally. And so I guess one of those ways that we've kind of stripped the guts out of it is we've stripped the whole front of it off, you know, mm-hmm. because we leave the other stories out most of the time. 
And you, you know, just thinking about the context of all of it, one of the things that we kind of, again, you, you have, you have these celebrations, and there are people that are invited and come and celebrate. They're not complaining. They're not the 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 idea is that they invite people who are going to come and rejoice over this exciting event, the the sheep that was lost, the coin that was lost, this, and then the son that was lost. Um, the servants go and they 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 take care of the fatted calf. He he tells the slaves to go and do this, and they do it, and they're there at the party, excited for the one that was lost and now has returned. Um, and and maybe that I, I mean I don't want to read too much into it because I mean it's it's it is a parable. It's not you know this is not an actual event necessarily. Um, and so but the the idea is that in some way if we're going to identify with anybody maybe those are the people that we need to identify with the people who who see the event and say hey I'm going to celebrate with you because I cherish what you cherish I am excited about that which is found and what was what was lost and I think sometimes we we fail to put because, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, that Jesus' ministry, Jesus' teaching is both instruction for the church, but it's also an indictment on Israel. And so saying to them, you were not the people that you should have been. You were not the covenant people that God called you to be. You didn't keep the covenant. You broke the covenant. Um, and, and then calling us to be different, calling us to be the people that they should have been and weren't uh, for the most part. And and so when you look at it in that context, and you think of it in the context of of God's people, and then this inheritance, and that's what this speaks to is an inheritance. And and the other day when we were talking about this, somebody made mention of the fact that well maybe because the younger son went and spent his inheritance, he squandered his inheritance. Maybe the the consequence is even though he comes back to the father's house, now he's going to have less inheritance. And we tend to think of it that way. In fact, I've I've often pondered that and thought. You know th- that's interesting. You know if if this were a real live event and the father had a million dollars and the son goes up to him and says, "Okay, now before you die, Dad, I want my." They would divide it in half. The older brother would get you know, or they would divide it in thirds, and then the older brother would get two thirds, and he'd get a third. And I'm not good enough at math to know what that is with a million dollars. <laughs> but anyway, so he gets his inheritance. Well, now the father has a third less of uh, of an estate. And so he takes and he squanders it and he has nothing and he comes back. Well, now, if in a physical realm, the brother is going to be thinking, um, yeah, so I'm not giving up any of mine when you die. You know, I mean, now now there's not going to be enough to go around. You're really going to cut him back in. Now we're going to divide it up again. And now he's going to get an inheritance again. And it seems almost that that's what he's thinking. It's the older brother is thinking. But, but that's not the appropriate way to think of this type of inheritance, because the inheritance of the Jews is not the land, even though that's how they thought of it. And these Pharisees and this, they I think they considered themselves the faithful remnant. And they thought, we're the faithful remnant, and the, the fewer of us there are when the Messiah comes back, the better it's going to be for us. So it would be better for me if you went and sinned and you, you out of here, get out of here. Nope, sorry, you blew it. We're, we're, we're the faith. And even the word Pharisee means separated ones. And they love the fact that they were the faithful remnant, the inheritance belonged not just to the Jews, but to them. And you blew it. You're a tax collector. You're out. When the Messiah comes, he's going to punish the Gentiles, and he's going to punish you. And so here comes this this Messiah claimer, and he's saying, and everybody's saying this guy's the Messiah, and now he's letting all those that they kicked out back into the fold. 
and they're saying, no way, I'm not sharing my inheritance with these guys. And Jesus, the, the bottom line of his entire ministry is, you're not getting it anyway, because you're not the faithful remnant. And they're going to get into the kingdom ahead of you. In fact, you're not getting in at all. And, and what, a, what a huge blow that is to them. And obviously, they, they killed him over the, the thing. But, but if they would just realize that the inheritance isn't the land of Israel, the inheritance is God. God is the inheritance. That fellowship with him is the treasure. And it is, it is inexhaustible. It, it doesn't matter how many people are in it. We ought to want to share it. It doesn't mean the more people that come in, the less I get. In fact, it's actually the other way around. And the more people come in, the greater my joy should be, because now I get to share the Lord with those other people that come in. What, is, what does Hebrews say about Jesus? It says, for the joy set before him. And what was that joy? The restoration of mankind to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't, we don't, it's, we individualize it like we do so many things. And we say, well, my restoration to God is important, but your restoration to God is not necessarily <laughs> as important because you're really bad. I was sort of bad. But you were really bad. So, so my restoration is what God wants. And your restoration is kind of, I don't know. And you know, in so many ways, like I, it's all fine and good to talk about this. It, it's the the practical living out of of seeing. You know, I need seeing people this way. So many times, I honestly like I, I feel more comfortable just saying, "I'll let somebody else take care of um, rejoicing over the the lost," because because. It would be easier for them because it's not easy for me. So I would, I'll just stick back here and say, rah, rah, good job. Um, I'm glad you're part of us and I'll stay over here. And I don't want to, I mean, it's easy to do that because the relation, it's easier to, to let someone else build that relationship than, than me. But anyway, I just kind of random, randomly went off. But well, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point because the real question becomes, Okay, if if what Christ wants, if what God wants, is that we be joyful about the recovery of that which is lost, and we recognize people as being God's possessions that are lost, and that we have an opportunity to help him recover these things, to help him recover what is his, these lost people, how does that joy, how is that joy actually communicated? How does that manifest itself in our life? Because very often we we fail to really view the church as belonging to God, being his possessions, being the bride of Christ. And we tend to think about people being restored to what? To the church. And we we even we just use that expression, they are restored to the church. And we we almost put a a a earthly capper on that. Mm-hmm. You know, they are restored to this group of people that meets here in a physical sense and we're not rejoicing for the fact that God has reclaimed mm-hmm. something that belonged to him, something that he paid for and was lost. How does that joy manifest itself? Well, and uh, a couple of things. Isn't it funny that we di- we don't personalize that as much as we should. We say we say they're restored to the church. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, there's a sense in which they're restored to the Lord, they're restored to the body, and there's a sense in which they're restored to me. Yeah. That that now my brother mm. is back in fellowship with me, and that ought to be a, 
un- unbelievable emotional joy. But like you said, it should also manifest itself in in some sort of a a visible. A visible Paul puts it that that Peter extended the right hand of fellowship. And so often in that culture, and I think in ours as well, it manifests itself in eating with someone. And that's exactly the context that we find Jesus in, is eating with these that are coming back. And he is he is visibly extending the right hand of fellowship so that so that everyone can tell. Jesus and these people are in fellowship with one another. They are celebrating the fellowship that they have now. How can he do that? How can he extend to them the right hand of fellowship? And so I think that eating together is one way that we do that, but it probably doesn't carry with it the same the same uh, connotation that uh, eating together did then. Uh, but there's certainly ways that that it should that we can extend the right hand of fellowship. Well, doesn't doesn't that convict us for our our lack of of spiritual understanding of fellowship mm-hmm. the fact that we you know we have to try and and consider okay how do i show that i'm happy this person is back because nothing about how i interact with my brothers and sisters in christ demonstrates fellowship or lack of fellowship mm-hmm. no one looking from the outside can tell the difference mm-hmm. and so i need to do so well you know so we're, we're going to gather around them if they're baptized and we're going to sing with them or something and that'll be the only time that we gather together around this person you know or 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 well hey you're a new member i'm going to invite you out to lunch this week or something along those lines but then if we if we don't form secular friendships with them after the fact, well, then they just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we go to church together. If we don't get them on the softball team or the, or, the or what have board you. game team or, you know, whatever, yeah. yeah. You know, well, they just, you know, well, they, they, they don't become the person who was lost and is now found and brings joy to my heart. They become, well, we just go to church together. Mm-hmm. And, and then if someone feels like they're lacking that, that they don't feel that people are joyful for their presence, we criticize them, mm-hmm. you know, and we chastise them. Well, well, hey, 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 don't you start thinking that you're so important or anything. Nobody's happy I'm here either, you know? <laughs> it's, it's it's really interesting. I think mm-hmm. I think that this also convicts us for just our, our lack of biblical fellowship, mm-hmm. period. And, and as you think about this story in the context of everything, you have the son who is lost, and then you have the other son who is lost. <laughs> who doesn't recognize that he was lost in a, in a sense where he thought he thought he was doing everything the right way and he comes along and and he's not getting he he's not getting what he thinks he deserves um because he's not paying attention to the fact that he had everything that he ever needed all he needed to a- do was ask his father and his father everything was there before him um and he essentially was another lost son who didn't who didn't leave the home he just didn't really take joy in in his father and his father's household. I mean, and and isn't that really? I mean, we don't. Do we really want to be people like the prodigal son? Do I want to be someone in, in the sense of I don't want to get to a point where the only place I can go is up. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get to the bottom to discover mm-hmm. that I need God. And I've I've heard people talk. Well, like, do I really need to be saved? I mean, I'm 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 an okay person. I'm my life's not so bad. I mean, do I really need God? Do I really need Him? I mean, my life's pretty okay. I mean, if I got to the bottom, maybe I would need God then. But that's ridiculous because it, it that I mean, it's almost in a sense that's kind of like 
the the son who stays, who says, "Well, I mean, life is pretty good, and I know if I stay, since I I get I get everything anyway, I get the most. I'm going to stay here. It benefits me most if I stay. So I'll go ahead and stay. And you know, when he dies, I'm I'm good. Um, but instead of just taking the joy in his father, uh, we're we're much like that. We're we don't really we look forward to the death of our <laughs> we look forward to the death of those who will give to us. We we watched the other night uh, the movie uh, Secondhand Lions and the people who come over to these guys' house to to, to keep trying to encourage them to uh, it's it's that same kind of attitude that I want from you, but I'm not going to be thankful for what I already have mm-hmm. in you. Well, is isn't is that not the 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 truth that the father tells his other son? You know, the the one son feels you know, he's angry that his brother has squandered his inheritance. He got his inheritance early, and then he squandered it. And the father says, you don't appreciate your inheritance that you have now. You are with me in my home. You have your entire inheritance now. Why do you not appreciate this? All that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And all he can do is sit back and say, well, you never did this for me. And I mean, can you imagine... Put yourself in that position where your son says that to you, and you throw your hands up and say, the flock was already yours. You could have any of them. You, you need me to come in and say, oh, hey, I'm going to give you this special goat. You're, you're my son. How do you not recognize this? The, the frustration and the, the thing that gets me in looking at that, you know, we... we I have said before we we could have called this the father who watches but once again it's it's reemphasizing the prodigal and you could just as easily call call it the father who pleads because when he's talking with the son who stayed the one who didn't squander the inheritance but who didn't appreciate it the ones who was lost without leaving the one who actually represents the people to whom Jesus was talking he's pleading with him how do you not understand what our relationship is? You're here. How have you failed to grasp this? And you can, you know, sometimes we look at it and we look at when, you know, we kind of enjoy when Jesus gets the better of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leadership. And we're like, ha ha, I bet that stung when he said that. Yeah, boy. And we, we fail to recognize that God's not enjoying that. Mm-hmm. He's not taking pleasure mm-hmm. out of having to tell these people this because they should have known it. He's hurt by this. He's as hurt by this lack of understanding on the one son's part as he is by the one son who left. Mm-hmm. And we can find ourselves in that exact same position. Most often, that is where we find ourselves in that position. You know, it was like you were saying this morning. You know, we if we are in God's body, if we are part of the assembly of Christ. We have that inheritance. We get to enjoy it now. Praise God. And yet we don't express joy for that either. You know, I was thinking it it's it's almost like you could overlay this story with the the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and it's kind of like this is the rest of the story. Because you could almost picture, you can almost picture the older brother two days before the lost son coming home. He was sitting there saying, Father, 
aren't you so glad that I'm not like my brother? That deadbeat, he, you know, no telling where he is. He took your money and he ran off and he's squandering it with harlots and, you know, running around and doing all kinds of wild, drunkard things. And here I am being the good son. And someday I'm going to get my inheritance just like I deserve to get. You know, and, and you can almost see him pat, patting himself on the back. And then this brother comes home and essentially says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And his father says, welcome home, son. And and so the the older brother says, what? And and the end of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector parable is that the one went away justified and the other didn't. And and so this story, you see that. You see the, the younger brother become justified. He is just as if he'd never sent, just as if he'd never gone away. Nothing is, is different than it was before the entire incident took place. And the older brother says he realizes that he has not been justified. He realized that that he something is not right here. And and he throws a fit about it. And and the Pharisees eventually, you know, obviously day of judgment but but i mean all of this is a coming a realization it, it's the difference between it's the difference between grace and works it's the the difference between you know thinking that we deserve god's salvation and blessings by merit or realizing that we are recipients by grace it is because he has chosen to bless those in Christ Jesus with salvation and mercy and grace and all of these wonderful wonderful blessings and it's still so easy to fall into the trap of thinking we deserve what God is going to give us on that day of judgment. And, and we've worked hard. We've worked hard to get it, and, and we're going to deserve every bit of it. And it's like, no, we still don't get it sometimes. You know, when you read through uh, Romans, and one of the things in chapter 6 that just sticks out to me is like, you, in the end, what you can come to, what you what you can earn is death. Mm-hmm. What you can earn is eternal agony. But what you get for free, if you follow Christ, is salvation. Mm-hmm. What you what you can earn is death. But what you can get as a gift is salvation. I mean, and we don't usually talk I mean, in, to a degree when you that's how we we want to say I can earn salvation Well, I can't. We know that. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over again. It does say obey me. But that doesn't say, obey me so you can earn. It says, obey me because you have. And on the other hand, we we want to we want to freely give out death to everybody else when we're the ones that deserve it. And it's so it's 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 ironic how you cannot earn salvation, but you can easily earn death. Mm-hmm. You know, the the other aspect of this that I see as a as a prominent failure in in my life is and and once again it's because we so isolate the story of of the two sons away from the lost coin and and these other uh, parables that Jesus taught uh, in unison is you know and 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 we fail to grasp it because in the story of the sons it's the father who's looking and so we always, well, yeah, well, God should be looking for me. He should want me back so bad that he's out there looking for me. Rather than recognizing with the breadth of the, of this teaching that it's not just that we should be joyful when people are found, there is expectation that we are missing people who are gone. Mm. And I think a lot of times the struggle that I have had for being joyful when someone returns is because there's some aspect of my mind that I'm kind of sitting back scratching my head saying, oh, they were gone? Mm. 
I didn't know that. I didn't miss them. And it's, it's, it convicts me to look back at it and recognize that I'm not searching. I'm not trying to find the coin. I'm not trying to find the sheep. And I'm not joyful then when someone else finds them and brings them home or when they find their way home on their own because I'm so self-focused. I'm so self-centered. I'm so selfish about my part of the inheritance that I, I, I really do end up with that just me and you, Lord, kind of attitude. And my joy is all about my salvation, the joy of my salvation I sing, rather than recognizing I need to be singing joy for the salvation of others. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Oh,